Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. We looked at this last week, but it says Christ also suffered. He suffered once for sins. And we, we looked into that, that in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, it says that his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all. Once and for all. There's no need to sacrifice Christ in the Mass every single week. He, would, he died once on the cross. Once. There's no need for any other sacrifices. The Jews no longer have to sacrifice animals. In fact, in God's plan... These things, these sacrificial animals, sacrificing of animals, they were all a foreshadowing, a substitutionary atonement for you and I. Christ died once for all. Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. As Bible students and followers of Jesus Christ, we know that his death and resurrection was God's plan to redeem us to himself. Jesus' death was a substitutionary sacrifice for all the sin of the world. In order to be saved under this substitutionary sacrifice, Jesus tells us that we must be born again of his spirit. Once we sincerely place our belief in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we become born again. We are then guaranteed forgiveness and eternal life with him. Let's listen to Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Fascinating that God knows what he's talking about. So be encouraged. You know, this week is going to be very interesting. I've, I've always found that the Passion Week is a little bit different than other weeks. <laughs> And so will you. If you're really desiring and and loving Jesus Christ, don't be surprised if you find this day to be a little, this week to be a little wacky for you, where your schedules get thrown up and things happen that are outside of your control, which everything is, actually. But I find that this week is interesting. But again, this Friday we will celebrate Good Friday. It's good for us. It's good for us because on that day, Jesus paid the price, the penalty for my sin, for your sin. We'll no longer ever have to see hell because of what he did on the cross on Friday. And then three days later, rising from the grave, defeating death and hell, having victory over all the dominions and all of the hordes of hell. O grave, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? It's swallowed up in the victory of Christ on the cross. Amen? So be encouraged. God knows what he's doing. If you could open your Bibles now to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're just going to finish the last section here of Peter. I couldn't resist sharing that with you because it really is truly significant and there is a lot of, there's a lot more to that and we glossed over it quite a bit, but that's okay. 
I wanted to give you a taste of it again. Because it is important for, to remind ourselves of just how accurate God is and how his word is true. And by the way, everyone around you, if, if you go to school, if you go to a university, no one's going to believe any of this stuff. They don't hold to it. They don't believe it. But it's true. And I know that it's true. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Second Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter, chapter 3. I got the reference right this time, right? It's not Matthew. <laughs> First Peter, chapter 3. Let's read it in context, just those handful of verses, and then we'll get into it. It says, for Christ, again, the context of this letter is suffering. The Jews, newly saved in a world that's very hostile to the gospel. They're on the move because they're being persecuted, not only by their fellow countrymen, the Jews, but now Rome is coming after them. They're very aware of suffering, and Jesus is very aware of suffering too. In fact, these, this whole chapter is really about if Jesus suffered and you suffer, don't find it a surprise and find, find encouragement in the fact that he suffered. And he suffered once. Once for sins. But notice what it says in verse 18 of 1 Peter 3. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God and be being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the flesh, or the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels, notice, and authorities, and powers having been made subject to him. Now, so let's get right into verse 18. We looked at this last week, but it says Christ also suffered. He suffered once for sins. And we, we looked into that, that in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, it says that his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all. Once and for all. There's no need to sacrifice Christ in the Mass every single week. He, would, he died once on the cross. Once, there's no need for any other sacrifices. The Jews no longer have to sacrifice animals. In fact, in God's plan, these things, these sacrificial animals, sacrificing of animals, they were all a foreshadowing, a substitutionary atonement for you and I. They were not meant to be the end all. They were just a means until Jesus would come. In fact, in Hebrews 10, verse 4, it says, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. They did it in obedience, in faith, and they, just like us, were saved by faith, by doing what God had told them to do. And they were right before God, and God allowed their sins to be covered, but not completely taken away. They would be right before him by their obedience and their faith in what God had spoken. But there was coming one through the line of Judah, prophesied hundreds of years, thousands of years in advance about this king, from the virgin, Mary. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear his son. 
bear a son, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. This baby, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, hundreds of years before he was born, prophesied he would come. It says in Hebrews again in chapter 10, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he was, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And that's you and I. We are being sanctified daily. I love the process of sanctification. Sometimes I get frustrated with it. Do you? Do you get frustrated with the process of sanctification? I often wonder, God, why couldn't, when we gave our heart to you, why couldn't you just zapped us, given us a new body right at that moment? I would have loved that. Think about that, man. That's new shoes. <laughs> Instantly, you're transformed, and in front of people would be really cool, too. You're in your boardroom, giving a presentation, talking about the numbers. Yep, last year wasn't so good, and this year not looking so good. Boom, and all of a sudden you're transformed before them, and you've you got a new body. I think that would be really cool. I think that would steal the show. But we are being sanctified. We are being sanctified. But Jesus suffered once. He said on the cross, it is finished. And if you do recall, last week we talked about, you know, if we look at verse 19, it says, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And we're not going to go over this like we did last week. Um, if you're interested in what was shared last week, you can get the CD or you can go on iTunes or Google Play and you can download the, the teaching for free. But we talked about how Jesus, and we believe that when he died on the cross, that he went to this place and, uh, of, of Hades. He went to this compartment, not because he deserved it so much, but he went to herald his victory. The Bible is very clear about this. We talked about this at length last week. But he went and he preached, not the gospel, but he preached to those spirits, those wicked spirits that had corrupted humankind way back before the flood in Genesis 6. You can read that for yourself, Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. And these wicked spirits, it tells us in Jude, that they left their first habitation. Their habitation was heaven, but they decided, for whatever reason, they wanted to go and, and have physical relations with women on the earth. And why would they do such a wicked thing? To hopefully thwart the promise that God had given, the prophecy that God had given in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent it would be a fatal blow, and Satan says, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to do everything I can to mess up this bloodline and to taint things the best I can. And try he did. And things got so wicked before the flood, and even after the flood, this kind of nonsense went on, and God saw that it was wickedness. He put an end to it. And even David, you remember when David stood over his victor, <laughs> he stood over Goliath, one of the sons of Anak, the sons of the giant, this line of beasts, these line, this line of demonic creatures, part human, part angel. It's, it's pretty twisted. They had to be destroyed. God wanted them destroyed because of their wickedness. And when they died, these wicked spirits were sent to 
Hades or Tartarus, a level of hell. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he went down and he preached to those wicked spirits. Again, not the gospel, but the victory is mine. All your attempts to thwart my coming, all of your attempts to taint the bloodline and to wreak havoc on the human race has been it has been fruitless. It has been futile. And I'm here to tell you <laughs> that victory is mine, says the Lord. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Maybe he preached that to them. But there was no salvation preached to those angels, those fallen angels. In verse 20 it says, who formerly were disobedient. We looked at that. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, these wicked spirits, while the, these wicked angels, and while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And then in verse 21 it says, there is also an antitype here which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something in this verse. Notice what's in parentheses. And then read the sentence without the parentheses. I'm going to read it for you. There is also an antitype, and the word antitype literally means a representative. It's a figure. It's, it's, a, it's a type. It's a like figure. It's similar. That's what it means. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You'll notice with me, you remember back in Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7, the flood judgment is recorded for us. And you remember the event, the, 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 the ground, uh, the springs underneath the ground, they all broke up and rain was coming from heaven, which it never had before. The water canopy around the earth was somehow dissolved, and now the water from heaven is coming down. And then that springs from the earth, the water's coming up. And God told Noah to get one of every creature, or a pair of every creature, and get them into the ark. And he did that to preserve them, for they were going to go through a deluge. We know it as the flood. Every living thing died except for what was on that ark. Eight people on that ark and all of the different kinds of animals were there on the ark. But notice, the water was the judgment. The water was the judgment. And Peter brings this up that in the form of baptism. And he brings this idea up of Noah and the eight souls that were on the ark and this figure, this type that we're looking at. Because as they were in that ark, the ark was the salvation, wasn't it? of those animals, of those eight people. And the water is the judgment. And the ark is in a type of Christ. Because it was in, those who were in the ark were saved through that judgment. Just as we are saved, if we are in Christ, we will not see the judgment of God ever again. Because of what Jesus has done for us. We will never see death or hell the second death anyway. We won't see the second death and we won't see hell. So what is baptism? The word baptisma in the Greek, and it literally means to be immersed or to be submerged into something. Noah and his seven, family, uh, seven other family members, they were aboard the ark. 
And they were being baptized, in a sense, because the water from beneath and the water from above was coming upon them, and they were being saved through the ark. The ark was their salvation at that time, and God created that. So what does it mean for us? When we think of what Peter is talking about here, he says, the baptism doesn't save you. It's what happened as a result of the baptism. Jesus rose from the grave. It's his resurrection. If, if Jesus was just to have died on the cross and then he didn't rise from the grave, we would be a miserable group of people. But his death on the cross paid the price, but showing that he was able to conquer death and hell and that he did, the proof of it was the resurrection. That is why we celebrate Good Friday. That's why Easter Sunday, it's really not Easter in the Bible, but it's called, we call it Resurrection Sunday because he rose again from the grave, defeating death and hell. But when we are baptized, we can see the figure there. It is a sign. Baptism is a sign that when our friends and our family, they get to see that this old man, this old life of ours, has been crucified with Christ now, just as Christ uh, was put to death. And he was also resurrected. And as he was resurrected, so are we also, through faith in Christ, we are risen to newness of life. And now, for the first time, we have power in ourselves by the Spirit of God to resist sin and to no longer be a slave to it. It doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, because we're not. But we have the Spirit of God in us now because of the regeneration, because of being born again, through the resurrection of Christ. When we go under the water, we confess that we are dead in Christ. When we come up out of the water, we are raised to newness of life just as Jesus was raised in newness of life. I turn with me if you would to Romans chapter 6. This passage, the first 11 verses, we're going to read them and it's so clear in Romans chapter 6 what this baptism is all about. Romans chapter 6. Paul, writing to the Romans, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who, who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that great news? (laughs) Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. This old nature was crucified with him in Christ. So that's why baptism is so significant. We are, it's, it's, a, it's symbolic. And Jesus commanded us to do it, to be baptized. You don't need to be baptized to be saved, but if you're saved, get baptized. Because he commanded it. It's good for us to do that. It's, it's a witness to our friends, our family. But notice, verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin, that the body of sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore, Christian. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you're born again, you have one who is greater in you than he that is in the world. And even he that is 
uh, manipulating you, your emotions, your feelings, your flesh, even your own selves. The very Spirit of God is in you if you're a Christian. You don't have to be a slave any longer. For he who has died, verse 7, has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin, notice, once and for all. But the life that he lives, praise God, (laughs) he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? But it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Baptism doesn't save us. In fact, this verse that you see up on the screen is proof of that. Jesus in Mark chapter sixteen, verse or Mark chapter sixteen, verse sixteen, made this he said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. What is the implication? If we are saved, we should be baptized. But is that the thing that really gets us to glory? No, it doesn't. It does not. The belief in Christ, that is all that matters. You have to be born again. The Bible says you must be born again. Because we're born with this sinful flesh. It is bent on doing evil. Have you figured that out? I think every one of us says, you know what, I'm so glad I'm saved because now I'm no longer a slave to my sin. I know that for certain. I know that I am not a perfect man. I still sin and I still have my errors and I still have my issues. But through this process of sanctification, God is continually setting me apart. He's setting you apart. And when you gave your heart to Christ, he took away some things. You recall what those things were. For each of us, it may be a little something a little bit different, but he removed things to encourage you, to show you I'm with you and I am more powerful than your flesh. I'm more powerful than the enemy of this world. I am more powerful than death and hell. I've gotten the victory over it. And you no longer have to be a slave, but you have to make the decision. You have to make the choice to deny yourself, to take these old nature. This, this old nature is still very much with us, but this new nature, the Spirit of God, is like a, like a can I just use the term, a thousand-pound gorilla standing on top of a chihuahua. The chihuahua, no offense if you have a chihuahua. They're really cute dogs. My grandpa had one. But... This small little, this nature of ours needs to be squashed by this wonderfully, and and gorilla is not the best thing to say because a very peaceful gorilla. Because God is not angry. He's not angry at you. But he has to put to death this old nature, and he, his spirit in you is like a cover, putting it over it and just holding it down. Because every now and then, that thing tries to get out, and man, the, you can hear the rattling underneath. Let me out and express myself. I deserve better. I haven't, you know, I want to do this. I want to drink. I want to smoke. I want to have extramarital affairs. Let me out of my prison. No. And he's holding the lid down, and sometimes the Lord just allows the lid to come off and say, you want to... You want to taste that for a while. You want it that bad. Okay. And after we have our fling with the flesh, we come back as always, realizing the futility of it, the heartbreak heartbreak of it, and we're like, you know what, Lord, forgive me. 
I thought this thing would look like glitter, it looked gold, it looked like gold, it looked promising, it looked like it'd fulfill the desire of my heart. And isn't it true? After the fling is over with, now comes the remorse, now comes the bill that we can't pay. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.